from WBOY Fort Wayne. From WBOI Studios in Fort Wayne, this is the I Am Immigrant, and I am Ahmed Abdelmajid. I am a Palestinian immigrant who has been donning the title of immigrant for the past 24 years of my life. I am interested in conversations around the immigrant experience, conversation that we seem to be not having or we seem to be not knowing how to have. For this podcast series, I'm hoping that we have conversations with different immigrants about all that it entails to be an immigrant. Welcome again, everybody. This is Ahmed Abdelmajid, host of The I and Immigrant. And as always, I am joined by the fabulous Katie Anderson. Hey, Ahmed. How's it going? We're doing well. How are you? I am doing pretty well and very excited about today's guests. Yeah, today we have um, a husband and wife who I've had the distinct pleasure of knowing over the past, I'd say, 10 years maybe. Uh, Very active members of their own community, but also of the uh, Fort Wayne community at large. Big voices. I've learned a lot from them, and I'm excited to have them on our show today. Me too, and I know that there's going to be a lot to unpack because we know that there's a lot going on in that part of the world right now. Yeah, there's a lot of great stories, and a lot of, unfortunately, right now, not a lot of great things are happening, so we wanted to touch base with them and see how they're feeling about the whole thing. But we will start with a quick introduction of my two friends, Yiwen Lat and Mian Mian, uh, husband and wife from Burma. Could you introduce yourself to us real quick, please? Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Ye Wen. Um, I go by Ye. Uh, Ye Wen Lad, I go by Ye Wen. I was born and raised in Burma. I came to the United States about 17 years ago. I've been living in Fort Wayne about a little bit over 10 years. And my name is Mimi Nandin, and um, I'm also raised and born in Burma. And um, I came to the United States in uh, 1995. It's a long time ago. I feel like I'm a Hooser. Hooser girl. So I like that. A Hooser. Hooser girl. So uh, I graduated here, uh, both of my uh, undergrad and graduate study in Indiana. I, I'm around in Indiana, in Goshen, Bloomington, Indy. So I, I, when I came to United States, I came to, uh, I arrived to Indy. Then I moved to Goshen, then I moved to Bloomington, I moved to Fowin. So all my kids' children are born in Fowin. So I am Hooser. <laughs> so 27 years almost in, yes. in Indiana. Indiana, yes. Nice. I, I wanted to start with a, with a quick uh, question, though, you and because I know you as Shafia, and I've noticed with a lot of the Burmese population, especially within the Muslim Burmese that I know, that there is a, a Burmese name and then a Muslim name. Is that a correct characterization? That, that is correct. Yeah, my Arabic name is Muhammad Shafi. Uh, it's mostly known in the, the Muslim communities, but the the official name in my IDs and everything are in Burmese. So that is, that's why I have two names, and a lot of Burmese Muslims uh, has the same two different names. Is that within the Muslim community of Burma, or is that a general Burmese cultural thing that you'd have a Christian name or a Muslim name? or? It is, it is more particularly among the Burmese Muslims. What about you, Min? Do you have a, another name you go by? Yeah, when I was a long time ago, they called me Pocahontas. <laughs> <laughs> because I have a black long hair and tiny. So that's, um, well, I, before I became a, uh, a citizen, so my name is Mimin Twinge, but I, I want to change my name because I love the country. I was very young and um, I never have a chance to, with my parents, so whatever I have done all these years, I want to honor my father. That's why when I become a citizen, I change my name to Mimian Nantin. Nantin is my dad's name. Mm. Uh, traditionally, we don't follow husband or father names, as everyone aware that. But uh, I, uh, that is something I want to commit it to my dad. So because both of my parents, um, they both uh, deceased passed away. So. Mm. And Mid is part of my mom's name, so that's why I adopted my mom's name, and the entire last name is my dad's name. So I'm probably not going to follow my husband's last name, but I <laughs> would like to keep my dad's name. So, uh-huh. yes, that's my name, Mimi Nantin. Nantin is my dad's name. 
you were young when you moved to Indiana. Uh, how yes. around what age were you? I was. <laughs> can I pass that age? <laughs> yes, yes, go on. Yes, I was very young. I'm a teenage when I when I left the country. Yes. So were you coming to the to the U.S. for school, or were you coming as a refugee or as an immigrant? Mm -hmm. uh, how how did you make your way to the United States? Um, uh, political asylum. So I came to the resettlement program. So yeah. Oh, so you came through the resettlement, resettlement program. programs. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about resettlement program for people that don't understand okay. what that means and how? you ended up with that program? Um, as you're aware, I think it's a very similar a program like Yemen and uh, uh, Congo or any many other uh, countries that uh, United States governments and United Nations bring it to the refugee by the resettlement programs to, to the, the uh, developed countries. So I was involved in 1988, a student uprising. I was a student at the time. So... Mm -hmm. As uh, I joined an um, M organization, it was in a current ethnic uh, regions. So I was there for four years, and uh, we decided to move on. And I have a chance to come to the United States because then, then we can uh, continue. You know, I can continue my education here. And uh, I was hoping that one of these days I can, you know, uh, opportunity to go back to Bummer and and help. Mm -hmm. Because, um, as you know, that Burma is at the time military dictatorship. I will stay right now. They, we only have a five-year transition civil government. So, and that's how, that's the reason I came here. I I was, um, you know, involved in that 1988 uh, demonstration movement, and uh, my brothers passed away in jungle, mm -hmm. and uh, I joined the, one of the arm organized student arm organization groups for four years. Then, um, um, you know, most of the students left the jungle, and um, we apply the UNACR and then we call the resettlement program so then we can resettle in the United States and we can continue rebuild our life. So late 80s early 90s mm -hmm. Burma under military dictatorship mm -hmm. and citizens wanted democracy democratic government democratic yeah. government and so in that civil war would you would it be characterized as a civil civil war then yeah we should say we've been under civil war ethnic war for since 1962 after the uh, uniwing government and socialist government mm -hmm. take the country over then 1988 the military military dictatorship take the country it's, then since then, and we have a 1990 election, the government take over again, the military government, military, mm -hmm. uh, military dictatorship, you know, the, the, the take the country again. And um, um, then not too long ago, 2012, and Don uh, Sun and the party, they elected, and second time elected, then, um, then we have a, a, a civil government, which is not fully civil democratic government, which is partially because the... Um, the NLD elected government stay, they they have to share the governing power mm -hmm. with the mil uh, uh, military. So then another election not too long ago, and um, but as everyone knows, they take it again. So And yeah. right now we're back to where we were, where we were. in the, early, the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Um, so that period of a little bit of peace from 2012 till... A couple of months ago, right? That was short-lived. Sounds like, yeah. US, it is a, uh, a transitions for five years. Mm -hmm. Just it's not even um, very early-born democracy. I mean, we've been under military dictatorship for forty years. Just we have a the the civilian government has that's just five years mm -hmm. to rebuild the country, which is not even fully power. You know, half of the power they have to share with military dictatorship. As a born and raised in Burma, mm -hmm. and you're Burmese, you still had to apply for citizenship. Yes. W why? Or where, where? what distinguishes you from someone who's Burmese? Or it, it is pretty much the same for all the Burmese. Like when we turn to age 10, we have to get a registration card. Okay. And that is a proof that what kind of citizens you are. And there are different layers of citizenship hmm. uh, uh, in, in Burma. And I was fully uh, citizens, natural born citizens, but without the card, that national identity identification card, um, there's no way to prove that I was actually a Burmese citizen. And my citizenship card that I applied for when I when I turned to 10 years, when I turned 10 years old, didn't get it until seven years later. Wow. Um, 
one of the reason is that they have to investigate about my father and they put my file on hold for a very long time. Mm. Similar story for you, Min? No, I didn't have a, that story. Because of the reason the government uh, classify like that because of the, the religion's differences. Okay. And sometimes religion's difference and ethnic uh, differences depend on what part of the country you are living in. So they classify your uh, nationalities. So there's the ethnicity part, which, I mean, I think I, I understand a little bit, but if you can explain to us, because the, there's the Uyghur minority, uh, sorry, not the Rohingya minority, but there's also, <laughs> what's the dominant religion, Buddhism in, in Burma? Yes. And um, then Christianity and Muslim. Muslim and if, yes. So your, so is it just your religious minority or is it also an ethnic minority? Yes. Um, like once the, the, the country gained independence from, uh, from the British, there were 144 ethnic groups that the government recognized. And then starting from 1962, when the military took over and they reviewed those ethnic groups and break it down to uh, 135. So that is the official numbers of the ethnic groups that we have in Burma. The Burman in Burmese, we call it Burma, is the majority. And then out of 135, there are also seven major groups, like even though like they are major within the minor minorities. Okay. And each of those ethnic groups has their own state. And Shan people has Shan state, Yakain people has Yakain state, Mon people where Min is, and Mon has their own state. And within each of those states, and there are also different ethnic groups, and all those combined has 135. And going back to the Rohingya, they are not, as of right now, is not included in 135. So that mm. become problematic uh, because a lot of people don't really recognize them as the people of Burma. And then we have different religious group too. The Buddhist is the majority in Burma mm -hmm. and we have the Muslims, the Christians, Hindus and a few other minors uh, religious group as well. And since being the Burman Buddhists are the majorities, they control pretty much most of the governing power, uh, including the military, um, including most of the NLD uh, National League for Democracy. Mm. Um, so a lot of political power rests in the, the majority Burma, Burman Buddhist groups. That become more problematic. Uh, with those different ethnic groups, and it, the whole problem started from uh, right before we gained independence from the British. There was no country as Burma, and it was a different kingdom ruled by different owned by different ethnic groups as their own. But when the British came in and they took over the whole area and combined under the mm -hmm. East India Company, mm -hmm. uh, including Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, and most part of Burma. And when we fight for the democracy, uh, the, for the independence, the Burma majority groups, um, General Aung San, um, he was the father of Dong San Suu Kyi. He actually, he was well-known, well-trusted. So he go around to and get organized all the different ethnic groups and make a promise that we're going to gain independence together as one nation mm -hmm. and we're going to call it Burma. And then that you will have your own state and you will have your own administrations. It was promised at the time. So that was the reasons that all those ethnic groups came together and demand for the complete independence from the British. But right before Burma gained independence, he was assassinated. Mm. And the whole thing fall, fall apart. And after we gained independence in 1948, uh, Burma was under the democratic government, up until 1962. But during that time, um, there were some some disagreement between those groups and the promise were not kept uh, because General Aung San wasn't there anymore. And some of the ethnic groups uh, went underground and start fighting for their own uh, independence. And it became a little bit more complicated than that. And the General Nguyen took over 
uh, under the uh, the military rules and take it as a socialist government. Um, and then he review all those ethnic groups and then make those seven state and divisions and all those things. Um, that carried over up until 1988. There was like uprising on and off. And in 1988, uh, the same uprisings, the whole country revolt against this um, uh, the dictatorship. And then it was kind of the hope that we have, just like today's, everybody were out on the street demanding for mm-hmm. change. And everybody thought that it was it was the end of all the dictatorship that we have in Burma. But it wasn't the case. The military took over again, killing thousands of people. And then we were back under uh, the, the, the military rules again. And they want to keep all the different ethnic groups under control. And their propaganda was that those ethnic groups were try to break break away from the union, mm. and then the military was uh, the one who is keeping it all together. So they That's were kind igniting. Of the, they were igniting ethnic feud between saying this ethnic group wants to break out from the union versus, and it's I'm assuming ethnic minorities. They're that, they're saying that. Yeah, that's that's correct. That that's how it make things a lot more complicated. And going back to like different ethnic groups and different different religious, um, it the 135 ethnic groups that we have in here, uh, even though it wasn't set in stone, uh, but people recognize it is as the official ethnic groups that we have in Burma. And so you're from a, an ethnic minority and a religious minority. That is correct, and and I am pretty different because Burma give pretty like really give important to the ethnic identity and people like myself are different because I don't really belong to either one of those one particular ethnic groups um, because I am multiracial. You're what's uh, multi multiracial. Multiracial, okay. Um, I come from the background of uh, the Bama, the Nu, and also uh, some part of Indian, Turkish. So I'm mixed with six different ethnic groups. So I can't actually represent one of the ethnic 135 ethnic groups. Hmm. So pretty much marginalized when it comes to the ethnic identity. And also being a Muslims, and it is also another issue for being marginalized. And the national registration card for the, for the citizenship, when we apply, in late early 1990, uh, when the, the military government changed their agenda again and start labeling all the Muslims as Indian. So we have a choice that if you are a Muslim, you have to include either Indian, Pakistan, or Bangladesh. That's mm. the choice that we have. We can put any one of 135 ethnic groups if we belong to, but until and unless we accept that we include either one of those foreign So you can't be Muslim from Burma, it's like purely from Burma. You have that, to have some correct. India, Pakistan or something mixed that, with you. That is correct. Wow. <laughs> Very arbitrary and divisive in, in, uh, uh, on purpose, I would, I would assume. Can you help me understand, because in the news we hear Myanmar but you are Burmese and you refer to yourself as Burmese and it was called Burma. So what's the difference between Burma and Myanmar? Are they the same country, different? It is the same country because uh, after 1990 election, the Burmese uh, military dictatorship changed uh, Burma to Myanmar. Burma, there's a wall known names, but it is a represent for just Burman, Burmese, which is a one to major, uh, major uh, uh, ethnic groups in Burma. So Burmese. it's not inclusive. It's not inclusive. Myanmar is inclusive all ethnic cities and uh, everyone. So that's why um, the, I think that is, which is this is one of the good things that they have done in right. Myanmar. 
So that is the after 1990 election instead of Burma. So it's officially changed the name from Burma to Myanmar. Myanmar, What does Myanmar mean? Does it have a significance or a meaning? Myan means is first, Ma is strong. If you divide it two words in Myanmar, so that is the meaning. The terminology behind that is inclusive all the ethnic groups in Burma, which is all ethnic group is not um, part of ethnic group stay not included. So so Burma is the largest ethnic group, and then Burma was named after the largest ethnic group, but as you and you were saying, there's 135, and Mm -hmm. so Myanmar is a more inclusive term. Yes, it it is. is the 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 major understanding of the difference between the two. Okay. But it is also not uh, exclusively, not everybody agreed the same things. Um, there are also people that believe the other way around. Mm-hmm. So that makes the whole things more complicated. Uh, some believe that the Myanmar is more inclusive. Some believe Burma is more inclusive. So that's why it is the struggle between the two names and now we're using interchangeable between the two names and we're not offensive by any means. And we get a lot of questions like, you know, are you offended if I say Burma or if I say Myanmar? No, we are not. But the problem is after Burma gained independence up until 1990, we call Burma. But at the same time, when we say the name of the country in the Burmese language, we use Myanmar. So which means we're using it, both Burma and Myanmar at the same time in two different languages. But in 1990, the military changed the name, the one in, the one we use in English, to match the ones that we use in the Burmese mm-hmm. language, Myanmar. But it was done with the intention to restart as a fresh, fresh, fresh start yeah. for the military. I see. And the opposition groups um, don't really accept it because it was done with that intention and it was done without the consent from the people. So we want to keep it the way it is. So throughout all these years, we call Myanmar when we speak in our own language. But when we speak in English, we use Burma. And then one, uh, Dong San Suu Kyi came into power uh, in 2015 and she openly accepted uh, to use either Burma or Myanmar. And starting from that point, it become interchangeable between the two names. Okay, so Min, you said you came on a political asylum to Indiana. You, you and were studying in India and got a scholarship to come here. How did your paths cross in Indiana? Where did you guys uh, meet? In, in Indiana at the time, there was only... Um, Few Burmese students study there. Which school? Sorry, uh, Indiana University in Bloomington. Uh, There was only a few Burmese study there, uh, and Min was there uh, before me. She was senior, Um, and uh, I came in two thousand four, and we have the Burmese Student Associations. And uh, I believe she was the president in that student uh, student associations, and uh, and we have a welcome parties, and and that's that's how we get to know each other. Uh, and no, they just and come to my apartment, and <laughs> because they don't want to eat a dormitory food, and they just come to you my apartment, and they just cook bummy food. That's how we know. So I, it's not you just had him. A stove I, in yeah, your I have a stove as well. <laughs> and all those bummy students come to my apartment, and they cook and eat in there. And uh, uh, so yeah, that's how. That's how. And <laughs> that's how you guys met. Nice. And you've been married for well over ten years now. Over ten years. You have two beautiful children. And so with all the things that are going on in Burma, back home, and the new life that you have here, Mm -hmm. uh, how much of that do you integrate in your children's life? And how much do you protect them or shield them from? I'm trying to understand, do your kids know their, their background? Is it important for you that they know their background, where they came from? Yes. Um, I, um, this is how we raise our children. They have to know they are, you know, um, where's their mom and dad's coming from, mm-hmm. where's our background, what's their religion's background. And um, every night, and, you know, we have partially some of the times with them to explain it and the differences 
because as you know that when our kids go to school, they have to meet different um, uh, students, different background, different uh, gender, different ethnic groups, and different religion background. So just we want to make sure that who they are, they understand and themselves, and how they can stand up themselves. The the cultural heritage yeah. and the religious is important for us to pass it on to our children, and at the same time we want to have them their own freedom freedoms mm-hmm. to explore uh, what is out there, and we try to do our part to spend more times uh, with the kid. The only ways they they can know is from the parents, especially. Living in the United States, when I grew up uh, in Burma, everybody around me are the Burmese. That's how I learn. Um, but here in in the United States, the only ways they can learn is from the parent itself. Well, um, we what I'm trying to say in it, it is it, you know loving them is very important. Mm-hmm. And same time, and we we let them make the decisions too. Mostly, I want them become reliable. Mm-hmm. Reliable themselves, reliable for family. It is important that they know who they are. If, like for example, at home, you know, we, even we can make the small decisions, then I, I want them included. You know, what kind of meal we're going to have. And uh, if where we want to go this weekend. You know, whatever we do, for example, the last two months, I've been in out there community every week. So I included to them. Maybe some... People might think that it's not appropriate. You know, our children, they can understand more than we think. If we can let them have, a, you know, some part of the decision in our daily life, and uh, they become more mature. Every d- daily life is important that um, they can learn from us, they can learn from school, they can learn from their friends. And, and I also learn from my children, too, mm-hmm. because it is important that if we can share those experiences, and they can, we can share experience each other with our children. So that is is very important. Uh, the most important thing is just loving them. So mm-hmm. that is how I, I raise. You know, just show them that how much you love, and that's 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 how we raise so far. For and them to grow to them secure and confident in who yes. they are, because I mean they look quote unquote different. And you mentioned that point that they might they look mm-hmm. different from the other students there and you want them to understand that difference and still celebrate it is what I'm understanding from you mm-hmm. know that yes. they be proud of who uh, they who are and we, where they who come they from. are yeah do you speak to them in Burmese at home do you try and teach them actually I didn't ask is, is Burmese one language or are there different languages within Burma the the Burmese is when we, we ha- say Burmese that is the, the language of the Burman people okay that's a the official Dominant language, language yeah. official language, and each one of those 135 has their own language. Some of them are pretty close to each other with different accents and different dialogue, uh, but most people understand Burmese. And at home, we try to teach the kid, and we're not successful at this point. <laughs> um, uh, it, it was started with the with our uh, older uh, daughter. We tried to, when she was starting to pick up uh, uh, language, uh, we started to push them, push Burmese language, speak solely Burmese, but at the same time, mm-hmm. we both are working parents. Uh, we have to leave her with a babysitter mm-hmm. almost all the times. So <laughs> she is uh, used to the, the, the English, and when she gets home, and so then we talk to her in Burmese. So she was just kind of slow picking up the language because she just kind of confused between the two. And at that point, we decided to stop uh, and let her choose. So mm-hmm. from that point, she picked up uh, the language, Bami, uh, the, the English and speak. She was able to communicate. Um, eventually, we stayed teaching slowly and slowly, uh, but uh, not fully hasn't fully implemented yet so. <laughs> they, <laughs> she's, they she's can understand eight? a little bit uh, she ten is, and eight. Ten, she's 10 she's ten almost 10 also oh. they're still they're still young, still young yeah, yeah. That, that that language is a struggle too i have my kids in <laughs> <laughs> online classes for arabic because yeah. i want them to speak it and learn mm-hmm. it and it's just yeah it's like pulling teeth sometimes but <laughs> 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 um so 
so you're trying to to get them to grow up understanding their own diversity and and diversity of the community Mm -hmm. but do you find yourself worrying about them not and i'm going to put it this way like not being burmese enough do you worry about them (laughs) not being uh, not knowing their culture strongly enough that you know they're going to be i don't know you won't recognize them um i'm not worried about that much because I'm worried about not about our, you know, um, c- culture. I'm worried about are they going to become a good person? That mm-hmm. is the more important than, you know, they are Burmese or American. I'm going to be proud they are a proud American, you know. So um, it is going to be nice that, I mean, they can speak a language and because it's not that we cannot speak English, I think, because it is if... If we don't speak English, it's going to be tough because mm. our children, they have to grow up in two different worlds. When they go to school, um, you know, I was one community advocate and you know, I do understand that there's a culture shock between parents and the children mm-hmm. because the children, when they go to school, they have to speak, a, you know, different language and a different culture. They have to survive every day at school. When they come home, parents, which is stay, keep it in, in their uh, tradition and culture, and mm-hmm. they have a two different worlds. So that is going to be tough. But, um, and but you're bridging those. Two yes, worlds. the gap mm-hmm. there between the two different uh, uh, cultures and and languages. Mm-hmm. And um, but to us, and um, which is you know we we, we are outspoke you know person in all of our family. So we we like i said we make a small decision we include it you know, we, we speak in english and in, in at home and we speak in Burmese at home as much as we could as much as we spend time but but they do know what we're doing when we go out there and protest when we go out there and do a meeting when we do out there and fundraising mm-hmm. we talk to them like today you know when we come here we talk to them hey we have a we have an interview and such a time we have to do if they don't speak Burmese or any other language except they speak English, I'm very proud of it because they're born here. This is their country. Mm-hmm. And um, only my concern is become a good person and a respectable person. So that is, uh, you know, our priority that is more important than uh, learn Burmese and our culture. But it is a good thing that they know uh, who they are, you know, their background. So, yeah, yeah. We, we come from a very complicated society when it comes to the ethnic identities and all those things. We don't want to bring down our kid into that kind of complications. They are born and and they're going to be raised here in in the United States and they're going to feel American. But at the same time, we want them to appreciate and understand the heritage of the parents. Mm-hmm. And at some points in the future, uh, we want them to help whenever we need to for for Obama, just the way we are doing now. So without having that kind of connections or sense of belonging to these the Bami communities, they will be left out. And mm-hmm. we want them to enjoy their life as American and here, but at the same time, we want to have that kind of bridge as well. And that will be good enough it, you, you both mentioned throughout the conversation the concept of giving back to Burma um, can you tell me a little bit about that what, what do you mean by giving back to Burma what do you hope for how could you help from where you're you're here the situation back home being a good person you know that is uh, uh, it's one way to give back to your community Mm-hmm. You know, if they become someone, their value for the whole society, the whole community, not just Burmese, that is meaningful for Burmese community for Bomber. For example, what are you doing right now? You, you're you working for not just only our community, you're working for entire immigrant community, this particular project. Mm. And it is the same thing if my children working for for entire communities so it is the value you know that is the one way to give it uh, giving back to your community because the most you do for the people the most you're uh, vulnerable the most you become reliable 
that that can help for you know your image can help for the country maybe mm. not you giving back the the money but the other way to giving back to to the your country because it doesn't matter uh, which country you grow up and where you live but if you are Burmese American you are Burmese American you cannot mm. change uh, your black line so if you become a president of United States, mm-hmm. and um, that is another way to look at it. Yes, you are president of United States, but when you look at it, your background. So that is the thing that the one thing that the country and people, the community, are going to be proud of. That is the one way to give back. But there's many other ways you can give it back to your community and your countries, your intelligence and your education and and or you, or you can donate those small things. Mm. But the most important thing is being a good person and doing for everybody. So that is uh, the best way to give him back to your country. So representing so, yeah. that background in yes. a positive light. Right. right. And, and also, as I mentioned earlier, so my father had to leave uh, in 88. Uh, and at that time, I was kind of upset growing up without a father because I don't really fully understand what he was fighting for. Why did he have to leave? Why didn't he come back home to us and spend time with us? Mm -hmm. So I was kind of upset going all my life. Uh, When I met him after 12, 13 years later, he was kind of a stranger to me uh, because we didn't have that kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, But later I get to learn what he actually believed and why he did what he did. And I kind of appreciate what he did. And we have to give up a lot of things our childhood. And my mom has to struggle without without him uh, with full kid. But if we have to go do all over again, I wouldn't blame him. Mm-hmm. Because I now know that he did the right thing. But the fight is not over yet. We don't really have the democracy. And at one point from 2015 to 2020, we all lay back. You know, we, we do our own things and we move on with our life. And to an extent that, you know, it was all good. But now I'm going back to the same uh, situation again that we have to get back into and do it all over again. We don't really know how long that's going to continue. And to me, I'm still doing the same things what my father did many years ago. And as long as it is not over, I will continue to do that. And I wish that my kid will kind of support in a sense. So until Obama become fully democratic, democratic and get the freedom. If that is in that situation, then, then we can all move on mm-hmm. and be, be in our own so, life. So you're saying the, the the work that you and both of you actually do in the community in, in raising awareness about the situation in, in Myanmar, Burma, in talking about the situation there, that you're paying back to your country by explaining to folks around you about the situation and the consequences of it. and. Hopefully, peace will come to Burma before your kids are old enough or as old as you are. But if the situation is still the same, then you'd hope that they'd be able to speak about it and to promote the democracy that you guys are are hoping for. That's yes, exactly. Speaking of being a good person and a good representative, I mean, I've known you guys over the past 10 years and I've always seen you in different cultural events and, and big things that you've done in the community. So thank you so much. I've learned so much about Burma and and the situation there from the two of you, and I appreciate what you're doing in the community to raise awareness on that. And and Fort Wayne, for a lot of people that don't know out there, surprisingly was for a very long time up until maybe a couple of years ago the largest uh, <laughs> concentration of yes. Burmese in the United States. Is that all from over the past fifteen twenty years, or can you tell us a little bit about the general the Burmese yes. population in in Fort Wayne? Um, yes, since 1990, and um, Burmese immigrant and refugee resettled to the Fort Wayne in the north, northeast in, in Indiana. That's the first wave was 1990. There was, when we were here, it's about 50, 50 Burmese, less than 50. Mm-hmm. So um, now, after over 25 years later, and um, we have a nearly uh, 10,000, it's from oh. different uh, background, different religions background. 
primarily is the Burmese and Burmese Muslim, Karen and Chin and Mon, and, and among the Rakhine and Rohingyas and other as well. But those four major groups are, are majority groups in Fowin, Indiana. Mm-hmm. But when you go down to, to Indy, there is a major large Chin ethnic groups living in Indy. Refugee and immigrant and from revolutionary groups are here. Mm-hmm. But when you go to LA, there's a more Burmese from um, Resetter for uh, maybe 50 years ago. It's a long time ago, like a mm. Burmese Chinese or Burmese India from different uh, part of the country from Burma. But, but the- here in Fowin is majority of from... A revolutionary group and Thai Burma borders and mm-hmm. refugees and ethnic those those groups are here. And it was the largest concentration of Burmese in the United States up until two or three Recently. years ago. And yes. usually internal migrate. So you move to one part of the country and then you know you migrate into different or you move to different states and cities. Right. Yes. The, uh, they can come to the United States legally because some people is you know quite. I mean, a lot of them understand, some don't, state don't understand. So, I mean, local community, what I'm talking about. The uh, refugees are coming from the different part of the, the, the country, Thailand or India, or some of them are, are Malaysia. This, this come from reset of, from for those part of the country to United States. When they come, they come legally. Mm-hmm. Then uh, a year later, uh, they can they can apply for their permanent resident card. And then five years after that, they can apply for their citizenship. They can become a citizen. But there's a process they have to mm-hmm. do to able to become a citizen. So when you're displaced to different, so you're from Burma, you end up in like you said, you Thailand or or India or, yeah. and then you you get the political asylum. Or refugee to refugee come here. Son, yeah. How long is that process before you're, they tell you, okay, you're coming to the United States? It depends. Some of them are within uh, six months. Some of them are three years or four years. It depends on the cases. Mm-hmm. And um, some of family reunion vacation cases, some of them take it forever. Right. Some of them are still living in a refugee camps. It depends on the cases. But depend on how much United States and the United States government decided how many refugees they're going to bring it to, to the states, mm-hmm. um, different part of the war. So that that is another part of our, for example, this year we're going to bring 200 refugees from Bomber, or we're going to bring in like a 300 refugees from Yemen, depend on the numbers, mm-hmm. depend on, and I believe that uh, depend on what is the political situations as well, because if then, because less five years, because p- politics in Bomber is different than and before than right now, so it was, they bring less refugee to the United States. Process is just like um, most of the the Burmese refugees settling in Fort Wayne come from the Thai Burma border and more recently from the Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the first step is like they have to apply for the refugee status in their second country. So the second country means either Thailand or oh, the Malaysia. Camps in the refugee in the camps. Refugee camp. mm-hmm. Oh, I see. And then they have to apply it from the UN HCR. From mm-hmm. that, after they get the refugee status, they don't really know how long that they have to live in the camp because there's no guarantees that any of these Western nations are going to take them. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like uh, hopeless for many years. And then some of the Western nations came in and talked to those UNHCR and just main mentioned earlier, there's a different quarter for from each one of those countries and then they just open up okay you can apply for this for the resettlement program what's UNHCR can you uh, United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees okay. thank you and they can apply for those different countries and some of them apply for the United Nations uh, United States some of them apply for the Canada Yes. Uh, UK Australia and the fight the first choice usually come uh, if they have any relative already settled in th- mm-hmm. those countries because they want to follow, they want to go to the place where they, their families are related there mm-hmm. already. And that is not guarantee either. The refugee resettlements that you see in the United States like in, in Fulwin is only a small portion of the re- refugee populations. And those are the lucky ones that given the second chance to start their life. Mm-hmm. And that is that process can take between um, six, uh, six months to five years. Yeah, a few years. Mm-hmm. Once the the third countries make the decisions 
and they will let you know okay now we're going to take you to the, to the countries and in that interview process like they ask they mean the the embassy give you a chance where you want to go because like you can either name a city or the state that you have family and at that time most of the Burmese refugee come to fall in to 2007 to 2010 Prior to that, there was only few Burmese living in Fort Wayne. Mm -hmm. And at that time, Fort Wayne has a lot of political activists living in this area, like the, the first wave that we call. And because of that political activities that a lot of people hear about Fort Wayne in the news and in the radios and kind of a popular name. Hmm. Uh, and people know that there's some Burmese living in Fort Wayne. So they start saying, well, Let's go to Fort Wayne. And that's how a lot of people end up in Fort Wayne between 2007 to 2010. And I believe that it was in 2010, the refugee intake in Fort Wayne kind of stopped. And it was limited to the family reunion only. Mm -hmm. And that's why all those refugees, uh, they have to choose to go to different cities and different states. But that doesn't stop people to relocate to Fort Wayne. Mm -hmm. And that become a little bit difficult to estimate the Burmese population in Fort Wayne because once we have the refugees intake coming in directly to Fort Wayne, we have those number. But once the refugees settle in different place and move into Fort Wayne, there's no way of tracking like who moved to Fort Wayne. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. So that that is the secondary immigrant. Mm -hmm. The secondary immigrant at this point is even more than the primary immigrant. And that's why it's really difficult to estimate the Burmese populations in Fort Wayne. The secondary immigrant continues to increase even now. Um, uh, we're estimate, estimating 10,000, but the reality could be even more than that. Hmm. Yeah. With Burmese moving into Fort Wayne and out, and so yeah, I understand it's hard to estimate the exact number, but there's no doubt that there's a large Burmese population in mm -hmm. in Fort Wayne, and you know I think there's a there's a Buddhist temple, there's a church, mm -hmm. and there's a mosque. Mm -hmm. I know the mosque has a big significance for the Burmese population in general. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that could be a good Jeopardy question, too. <laughs> the sense of belonging uh, is really important. And most of the, 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 the Burmese Muslims wants to settle in a place where they have more Muslims in the area and more Burmese Muslims in, in more particular. And one the, the mosque uh, was built and opened in 2015, even though that the capacity was to serve only a small portion of people, but the news spread out to the whole United States and people living in different areas. And see, Fulwin has a more significant place that the Burmese Muslims can depend on and gather together. That's, that's also one of the attracting points uh, that a lot of people relocate to. There's something historical about that mosque, and that's the point that I'm trying to get to. <laughs> Back in 2010, the Muslims community started to grow in the area, and the community needed a place of worship. And there was a choice between whether to buy a building and transform it into a mosque, or to build a new one. And the community decided that it would be more significant to build a new one as a uh, expressions that we have religious of free freedoms of religious in the United States, and we are not allowed to build a new masjid, the new mosque in Burma for several decades. And the the mosque that was opened here in Fort Wayne in 2015 was the very first one, uh, pretty much the only one outside of Burma in the last over 30, 40 years. Uh, that was built by the Burmese Muslims community outside of Burma. Because in, in Burma, you mentioned you can only renovate an existing mosque, you can't build a new one. No, it was, even the renovation part is so difficult, and it was blocked for 
almost the entire times that the military was in charge uh, up until 2015. After 2015, there were some openings and there was some chance to renovate. And even those were up and running uh, were shut down many times uh, for many reasons. And many of them were destroyed. And especially the the historical significant one were destroyed uh, under the military mm. military dictatorship. Um, the same thing happened to the churches uh, in the ethnic areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to just make it make those significant disappear. So the first mosque built collectively by the Burmese community outside of Burma is in Fort Wayne, Indiana. That's, it's, it is. It's fascinating. And then again, we have you know a, a, temp- a Buddhist temple. There's a church as well, and so there is that religious diversity. But I highlighted the mosque just because of the significance, uh, historical significance of that which speaks volume to, uh, one, the Burmese community, and two, the the welcoming nature of Fort Wayne uh, as well. You have an open mic to everybody out there who's listening. Feel free to share whatever you'd like to share as your closing thoughts. First, uh, thank you so much, Katie, and Dr. Abdel Majid. Thank you so much and having us. It is important that feel like this is, you know, we are inclusive, part of in this community. It is important that we people can hear our voice. This war is getting smaller and smaller, and it is we can live peace and harmony. That is very important. So that's the only a peaceful way we can live. Yeah, thank you, thank you for having us, and and like I truly appreciate a lot of people in Fort Wayne. Um, for being so welcoming to the immigrant uh, communities here uh, that make us really comfortable uh, to live uh, Mm -hmm. in this um, community. And I have struggled most of my times in the United States because part of me wants to go back to Balmer and part of me don't really know what the future is going to be. And after living for quite some time, uh, it is not just because I live here longer. Uh, it is because I am attached to this community uh, and I feel like this is home. And I spent most of my time adult whole in full wind, even as compared to back in Burma. Uh, and now I'm even more puzzling uh, to see, do I really go back to Burma at some point or do I want to spend all my life here in Fort Wayne. And it is that decision is mostly because uh, the people around in Fort Wayne are so welcoming that I feel like home in here. Thank you both so much. We appreciate you. appreciate your open and honest conversation. I know it's not easy, especially with everything going on, but we appreciate you giving us this this uh, insight into your lives. And thanks for being on the I Immigrant. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for having Thank us. You. The I and Immigrant is a production of WBOI Studios in Fort Wayne and is hosted by Ahmed Abdelmajid, who is also the creator of the show. Visit theiandimmigrant.com to learn more about this season's guests and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and please leave a review. A big thank you to WBOI production assistant Diamond Thomas, who edited today's episode. This is co-producer Katie Anderson signing off until next time. Thanks for listening. From WBOI, Fort Wayne.